If you have your Bibles, have them handy, but you'll have passages you can follow along up on the screens as we take our next step in what's called the Gospel Shape Series, which is, in its, in its simplest form, the Gospel, this thing we call the Gospel, is all of human history. It's God's plan unfolding in human history of God reconnecting everything, creation and humanity, back to Him through Jesus. And so we are a part of that good news, that Gospel, that God is working that out in our lives, because when we become disconnected from God, when we do it our own way, we lose meaning and fulfillment and purpose in life. But then when we find reconnection through what Jesus has given in his life on the cross for us that pays for our sin, we're reconnected with God again. So if, if that reality is true in human history, that means that that truth for our lives touches every aspect of our lives. It has something to say about every, every portion of our life. It shapes everything that we do. And because of that, this series is going through a number of different kind of topics where we ask the question, how does the gospel shape this part of my life? So if you're here last week, we kind of, uh, we're doing two parts within this of last week we started to talk about money, this week we'll finish talking about money, and I know you're thinking, great, we're talking about money again, it's everybody's favorite topic, that's okay, don't worry, in two weeks we'll talk about sex, everybody's other favorite topic, so, and attendance always goes up when you talk about sex, attendance goes down when you talk about money, go figure, right? But this morning, what I, it was kind of part two, I, I literally, I, last week, I made a, a, or a week and a half ago, I made a decision to split this message into two because there's too much ground to cover when we talk about money. And so this morning, what we're really going to talk about is really what happens when Jesus wins over money in our life, because money is an idol. Money is a God to us. It's supposed to be something that is a resource for our lives, but it kind of sometimes takes the place of God in our lives. So we're going to talk about what that looks like. But if you recall last week, I wanted to just to reflect a little bit last week. One of the things that I asked you to do, some homework, was to, to pause this week and to, to, to reflect on something. And that was this. Most of us have the dream, what would I do if I had more money, right? What, if, what would I do if I won the lottery? And we go down this list. But what if we actually began to dream differently and we asked the question and we reflected on, what would my life look like with more Jesus? with him shaping more aspects of my life, with me surrendering more over to him, what would my life look like? I'll guarantee your life would look better than if you had more money. And if we, if we shift the way we think about God and about money, then we start to get things in perspective. And so this morning I want that to, to kind of frame as we move forward. But, but before we, we kind of walk through some things of what happens when Jesus wins over money, I want you to just to think about this for a moment. Money and resource was never meant to be the goal of our lives. Never was meant to be that way. It was meant to be the resource that God provides to fuel his purpose and mission in our lives. He supplies our needs. And what happens is we've taken the thing that's supposed to fuel our lives and we've made it the goal of our lives. And that's where we've gotten off base. So let's, now this is a little bit ridiculous, but let's just put it in this context, okay? So when we drive our cars, we put gas, unless you're driving electric and good for you. But if you're like the rest of us, we have to go to the gas station, right? What is gas? Gas is the fuel that causes your car to run so you can get from point A to point B. Okay, is gas the goal of your life? No. When was the last time you saw somebody waiting at line at Costco to get gas and they were so giddy they couldn't wait to get gas? If you're like me, everybody like looks bored out of their mind and can't wait to have this ordeal of getting gas over. None of us like that. But that's what it's like with money. When we start getting giddy about, oh, if I just had more money, we're getting giddy about what? About a resource that's simply fuel to get us from point A to point B and what God wants to do in our life. But when we make the very fuel that's supposed to fuel our lives the goal, then what happens is we never get to the goal. And what's the goal? The goal is Jesus. The goal is what he's doing in our lives. And so we have to have this shift on the way that we, we see money and how ultimately the gospel shapes that 
in our lives. So I'm going to walk through three major points, but we're really going to kind of dive deep in the first one. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first thing is, what does it look like when Jesus wins over money? This is what it looks like. It looks like generosity. Anybody ever heard that term before? So when Jesus wins over money, money doesn't take the priority in our life, and what happens is it becomes the fuel for our lives. Therefore, it becomes the resource for us to bless other people. Generosity. So when we trust Jesus with our lives and our souls, we trust him with our needs. We don't have to stress out. And by the way, side note, one of the greatest factors that you know that money's an issue for you is if you have anxiety, and all of us do. We have anxiety when we don't have enough, and we have an anxiety when we have too much. It happens all the time. But listen to what Jesus says about this concept of generosity and resource in our life. We don't have to worry about meeting our own needs. Jesus, in his own words, says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, he says, don't worry and ask yourselves, Will we have anything to eat? Will we have anything to drink? Will we have any clothes to wear? Only people who don't know God are always worried about such things. Your Father in heaven knows that you, uh, you need all these things, but more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. That's a familiar passage probably for many of you. That if Jesus is the priority, all the stuff that we need, which is what? It's fuel, it's resource, God will take care of. And then Paul writes this in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every need of yours. So what is Jesus doing? He's giving the promises in Scripture that you don't need to worry about the resource for your life because he'll take care of it. Why? Because the purpose of your life is not the resource. The purpose is Jesus. So what, is, what does generosity look like? I want to just take some time again. We're looking at three main points, but I want to d dive down because this is, this is the core issue and the, the core answer for our struggle with money is generosity. Generosity not only is the outflow of when Jesus wins over money, it also is the antidote for our greed that causes us to hyper-focus on money. So what does it look like? What does generosity look like? I want to just walk through four things real quickly, and these are really about how generosity is intentional in our lives. Generosity doesn't happen by accident. It happens on purpose. And so I wanted to, there's some of these are some personal things in my own life, some personal convictions that Kim and I walk through and live out in our lives. So I'm not saying somehow we have it all together, but these are the th some things that we've strived to live out in terms of generosity as examples. So the first one is this. Generosity looks like giving to those in need. In fact, if you're here last week, we talked about, you know, the rich short guy, we call him Zacchaeus, you know, who encountered Jesus. And what happened when he encountered Jesus? What's the first thing out of his mouth? He was going to sell his possessions and give money to who? The poor. Right away, right away he sees there's people who are, have needs, there's people who have less than I have, and they need resource. So that's his first, his first decision spontaneously when he meets Jesus is that I'm going to make sure we care, I care for people who are in need. And that's important for us because there's opportunities that we're faced with all the time for people who need resource. And it comes in different forms. And so you ask yourself the question, what am I, where am I surrounded by people who need resource in their lives? We're surrounded by people everywhere. And sometimes it can be overwhelming, like there's too much need. What am I supposed to do? You're supposed to do what God calls you to do, which is whatever is right in front of you. So you respond. So for Kim and I, that looks in a number of different forms. So one of the things that we've done historically for years, and now currently the focus is in Haiti, but we're always, we're always sponsoring a child. And you know, you know that through Connect2, you can sponsor one of the, the orphans they're working with in some of the, the orphanages there. And it's a simple way to, to help a, a child with resource and help support Connect2 as they continue to plant churches and to care for kids. So I know tons of people in our church do that. You can do it through Compassion International. You can do it through World Vision. You can do it through tons of things. I think you can do it through Forever Found and Zoe and all these great organizations. But finding a way that there's, there's need all around us. 
But even if you go beyond that, what other places are there need? Well, I know one of the areas of need is in laundromats in our city. Anybody been in a laundromat lately? There's people in laundromats because they don't have facilities in their home or their apartment or the resources to take care of themselves. And we find ourselves in laundromats. Why? To build relations through helping care for people's needs. I'll tell you one of the, the, one of the most amazing things that happens in laundromats is because people start to always think, okay, this is a church doing this. They're always on the take. They're going to bait and switch me. What do they really want? They ask the question, and this is the question I've gotten frequently in laundry love. If you've done this, you, you've probably related to this. So this is the church's money, right? Like, no. Well, if the church is people, yeah. But I said, no, it's this group's money. They're like, seriously? Like, yeah, everybody puts money in to pay for laundry. It isn't some huge fund sitting at the church that we go access. It's everybody personally investing. And, and when that happens, there's something about the defenses in people just drops. Because we're not there to fund or to supply some church program. We're there to build relationship through our own lives. Little things that I do, I carry around at least one or two McDonald's gift cards in my wallet. So if I encounter somebody who's in need and needs the basics of, like, food, I know McDonald's is not the, you know, the, the most nutritious, but it is the most accessible for mo in most cities, and I'll have those. Other things that Kim does is Kim always carries meal kits in her car, so anytime you pull up to a light and you don't know what to do when that homeless person is standing there with a sign, what do I do, what do I do? And they always say, don't give them money. People you can give them a meal. You can care for them that way. You just whatever's in front of you that God has placed you there, what? Because he wants you to help meet the needs of people around you, those who don't have the resource that they need to survive. We're surrounded by that. Second thing is that not only giving to those in need, but generos generosity also looks like giving through the church. And this is something that is embedded throughout Scripture. I want to just take a few moments to talk about this because there's a lot of confusion when it comes to giving. Do I tithe? Do I not tithe? Is there a different principle in the Old Testament? Is the New Testament? Let me just kind of give you a brief overview, okay? So when you hear, hear the term tithe, it literally means 10% or a tenth. And so we, we have this term that we use in the church where we say people tithe. Where did that come from? It comes from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Jews used to tithe their income, but they tithe in a different way than we tithe because they had three different tithes. And so if you add up the total amount of tithe that they gave over a given year or three-year period, it was close to about a of maybe a little bit more than a fourth of their income, maybe even a third of their income was going through, uh, through obviously as a nation, they were following, following God, but they went through the means of what would have been the temple. And so they were giving a lot of their resources. That was a normal rhythm. Well, then you get to the New Testament, and, it, and obviously tithing is something that is mentioned in the New Testament, but there's something different that starts to happen in the church in the New Testament. They start giving out of generosity, which is a little bit different. And that's why people come to me and say, well, I'm not an Old Testament giver. I don't tithe. I'm a New Testament person, so I give generously. Well, before you go down that road, because usually when people say that to me, that means they're not going to tithe. They're going to give like 5%. Okay? So when you look at the New Testament, you know what they were doing? If you recall, we went through the book of Acts. Do you remember what happened in the book of Acts? People were going and selling their land and then taking all of the money and laying it at the apostles' feet and saying, hey, wherever the need is, give it away. That's just a little bit more than tithing. <laughs> just a little bit more. But here, let me just compare these. Here's the passage. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says this, the Old Testament. This is the Lord speaking to his people. He says, Bring in the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby uh, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need. And in the New Testament, what's the New Testament principle? St. Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So where do we land on giving? Well, here's the way that I know land on giving. This is the way I encourage people in our church to give. Start with tithing. Start with 
because 10% is a stretch for anybody. And, and it isn't something like, okay, well, if I only gave 9% this month, then God's going to judge me. No, but you work your way towards 10%. Because 10% you feel that. When 10% goes to something other than your own needs, you feel that. But 10% tithing is the starting place because generosity doesn't have a limit. And generosity, you know you're being generous when, when what you do in giving causes you to give up something to do it. That's what generosity is. And so you start with that, and you start with 10%, and then you work your way up. As God moves on your heart, you respond accordingly to what God is doing in the church, what God's doing in the community, what God's doing in the world, and you give beyond that. Now, some people will push back on that, but that's what we do. And let me, let me give you some practical things. So Kim and I have always tithed our entire lives. We were, we were born tithing. That's the way our families, we were raised. And we did it when we got married, and we continued, but we've always given more than 10%. We start with that, but we always give more than 10% ongoingly. And then on top of that, we always give wherever we, we can give. We try to give generously. But I want you to understand, because here's one of the things that we, 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 we don't always talk about, but I just wanted to take a moment to talk about it. A couple things. First of all, I've said this, and I'll say it again and again and again. I do not look at giving records. I don't know if you give, how much you give, when you give. I don't know any of that. And I do that for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, my job is not to get you to be obligated to me. My job is to get you to Jesus and let him transform your soul. That's my job. The second thing is I'm human. I have issues. I'm just like any one of us. And I don't want you to walk in the door and I see a dollar sign above your head. Whether it's a small one or a huge one, I don't want to see it. Because I don't want, I don't want to show favoritism to anybody. Because ultimately, it is, I'm not, you're not accountable to me for your giving. You're accountable to God. And we're accountable for our lives to God. So, but the practical side, when we give to the church, it's really important, okay? Because we work really hard. The church council will tell you this. We work really hard to steward the resources wisely to be as generous as possible as a church. But there's the reality. There are a lot of bills to run a church. There's a lot of bills in this building, even though God's blessed us with a great building. There's salaries. There's administrative costs. There's maintenance issues that comes up. There's, there's personnel stuff. There's all kinds of stuff because the church is a community of people, but the church has to run in a business form too. So, so many times people, oh, well, the church has that money. Yeah, the church has that money, but there's, I wanted you to understand there's a lot going on in the church. And I'm not saying this out of desperation. I'm just saying out of practicality that when you give, you're continuing to help what God is doing through the church. And the other thing, too, that's really cool is when we give collectively, we have more power than we do individually. And that's why we will give a large amount of money to different organizations or different things that go on around the world. Why? Because collectively, we tried to save that money to be able to immediately give that money. And so, and that obviously is in addition to normal things that we'll ask for you to give to and things that you extend generosity through. But I wanted you to understand that because there's the practical side and there's the spiritual side. But as a principle, we encourage you, start with 10% and then let God begin to develop generosity in your life. Because I know I will tell you this, and Kim will tell you this, I have never, ever given generously in my life and regretted it. Never. I have given where I didn't think I should give, and I've given away money that I didn't think I had, and God has always replaced it and more every single time. And that's the beauty of when you give generosity. Why? Because it isn't about the money. If God is the one who meets my needs, then I can't outgive him. I can't, I'm just like, oh, God, like, God doesn't ever say, oh, that's too much, back off, don't, don't get that. No, why, he'll just replenish it in our lives. So, got it? Okay, moving on, it always gets a little bit more quiet when you talk about tithing. Third thing, generosity also looks like giving to the mission. So listen to what Paul said. So Paul was the first original missionary in the New Testament that we have, and it says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, 
Uh, you Philippians, talking about his relationship with the church at Philippi, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again, uh, needs once and again. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about the church of Philippi made a decision that we're going to help support Paul as Paul goes out and he tells people about the good news of the gospel. So they were giving, they were partnering with him. We know that Paul obviously was a tent maker on the side to try to resource what he was doing, but also because people were investing in him, he was able to go from city to city to do what he was doing, to plant churches, to reach people, to see people healed, to see people freed. That was resourced through giving and through people's sacrifice. And so then the question is, ask yourself, generosity also looks like giving to mission. So where are we giving to mission? In our lives personally, where are we investing? As a church, we do that. We give to Connect2, we give to Turkey, we've given in the past, we've given to a little island nation called Vanuatu, we've also given to uh, work that's going on in northern Uganda that had to do with what was going on in Sudan. We've given to all kinds of things, but individually we ask the question, where am I giving to the mission? And so Kim and I will always ask that question, where are we giving to mission? So right now we personally, we support the missionaries in Turkey, which we do collectively as a church as well, which by the way, they are on the front line of what God is doing right now. Talk about being in the middle of chaos. So they're in Turkey, and everybody heard a little bit about what's happening in Turkey and in northern Syria and all that's going on, so they're really close to that area. In fact, you'll hear more about this when we talk about Global Christmas in a few weeks, because we're going to partner with helping to work with children who are Syrian refugees coming out of Syria into Turkey that are working with. So, but there's these great opportunities. Kim and I always try to give towards church planting. We gave to church plants and continue to give to church plants, because we know what it is to plant a church, because we did it. And you're always really stretched for resources. That's why we'll talk about when John and Denise, Denise and Lily plant a church in Camarillo. We're going to support them and help them. Amen? Is it exciting? By the way, if you weren't, you know, what is that all about? You go on, go on the YouTube channel and you'll find out if you missed last week. So then the fourth thing is not only do we give to uh, the mission, we give to those in need, we give to the church, but we give to each other. So this is what's happening in Acts chapter, in the book of Acts in the New Testament. This is how the church started out. Acts 2.45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Acts 4.34 and 35, there was no needy person. Did you catch that? There was no needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. We just kind of read over that. Just, just think about this for a moment. Can you imagine being a part of a community of people there isn't one person who has a financial need? Did you know that's what the church is supposed to be? That's what God's people have always supposed to be. That's what God actually said to Israel when he started the law with them. They were not ever supposed to be poverty in Israel. Did you know that? Never was supposed to be that way. Because ultimately poverty, either in our generation or previous to our generation, poverty is a result of what? Sin. Because poverty, by the way, is not a resource issue. Did you know that? Poverty is not a money issue. Poverty is a relational issue. It's a, it's a broken relationship between man and God. It's a broken relationship between us and the creation that God gave us. It's a broken relationship between us and ourselves. And most importantly, it's a broken relationship between us and each other. You know that's true? Because if you've ever met somebody dealing in poverty, they will tell you a story that always includes a relational fracture in their life. Always includes. I've never met a person living on the street. I've never per met a person dealing with issues that hasn't had some violation in their past or they violated some of their past. Why? Because they're disconnected relationally. What do they lose? They lose resource to care for them. And that's why if you're part of the church in community, you should never have need. 
not because you're lazy or because you're taking advantage, but because you're in a community of people where you're not in broken relationship, you're in a healthy relationship, and because of that, what, there's people to care for your needs collectively. By the way, that's what happens in our community groups over and over and over and over again. I have heard and seen in even our own community group that, that we have a benevolence fund that people can access. They have to go through a process to get to it. But you know, so many of the needs in our church don't even get to the benevolence fund because they're already taken care of by people in community groups. When somebody hears about a need in the community group and the group comes together and says, hey, we're going to help this person out, that's the church. The church isn't here. The church is here. And if that's the way it's supposed to be, because that's the way it was then. That's how it worked then. And then there's the response of when God moves on your heart to those in, around you that you know, and you hear of a need, and you respond. That's the one thing that, that Kim and I, when we hear a need, we've, we've done something intentionally. We don't ask each other what we should give. We don't go and look at our bank account. We just listen, and then we have a conversation, and we ask this question, what do you think the Lord wants us to give? And we're kind of waiting like, okay, because almost like 95% of the time, it's the same amount of money. And then there are other times one of us wasn't hearing God, and it was probably me, so I go with what Kim says, right? <laughs> Guys, that's just a little help for you with wives. So, Because sometimes the voice of God sounds like the voice of your wife. I don't know. I've heard that somewhere before. Anyway. But it's that idea, some of the guys are going, absolutely not, so we'll pray for you. Anyway, but it's that understanding that, that as God moves on your heart, you respond with generosity to the needs around you. Not giving out of fear, but that's why it was in 2 Corinthians, what, giving with a joyful heart. Why? Because I know when I give, I'm not going to lose in this. Because God's going to take care of my needs. God's going to bless this person, and God's going to take care of me. That's the way that we live. Okay, so that's enough about generosity, but moving on. So we're talking about when Jesus wins over money. So he wins, we, when we are generous, he wins. And the second thing is contentment. It's to literally live at peace, whether you have a lot of money or whether you have no money at all. So let me read a, a very, uh, probably famous passage of scripture, one that's used quite frequently, but it, it includes, there's a secret that most people don't pick up that is the secret of being content in our lives. Paul writes this, and if anybody knows what it is to have lots and have little, it's Paul. He says this in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He's talking to the church at Philippi again. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I know that, that verse, verse 13, is the one that we always grab. And there's a lot of people, a lot of applications to that. But the context is what? It has to do with resource. That I can live seasons of my life with having hardly anything and be just content as seasons of my life when I have everything. Because my contentment is never based on my circumstances or my bank account. It's based on Jesus. And if you read through Paul's writings and you understand a little bit about Paul's story in his life, you will understand this guy knows what he's talking about. That he can be content no matter the circumstance he's in. He can be content when he and Silas have been beaten to near death and now they're waiting the possible death the next morning and they're locked in the cell at midnight. And what is their response? complaining, bitterness, anger towards God? No, they were singing praises to God. Why? Because they were totally content even though their bodies were in pain. That's the secret, is that I can be wealthy and I can be poor and it doesn't matter. I'm the same person. I'm content. Why? Because Jesus never changes. 
Jesus is consistent in our lives, and we have to understand that. But there's a challenge. There's something that happens in us. There's the promise of something more that we always go after. That when we become discontent, we don't look to Jesus for our contentment. We look for something else. That's why we spend money. We think when we buy something that it's going to produce the happiness or the contentment that only comes from Jesus. Anybody ever made a decision to buy something that you regretted in your life? Yeah. Why? Because you believed when you made the purchase that it was going to do something for you, but it didn't deliver. We all have those. Now, I'm a pretty frugal person. I tend to, tend to be on the more kind of like, like cheap side. I wouldn't say I'm cheap, but I'm more frugal. But I have an issue. I like to buy electronics. That's my one downfall. In fact, you can ask him this. You can ask the staff. I'll hyper-focus on like electronics, and I'll like research it, and I'll look at it, and I'll price it, and I'll look. Like it'll be my thing for like two weeks, right? And so like about a month ago, I was sitting there, and I thought, you know what? We live on a corner, and I know the way our, our front door is positioned. I thought, you know, if I had a video doorbell, I could really do a big favor for the whole community because I could record everything that happens on my corner, right? So I'm thinking, I'm gonna, I want to be a good citizen, right? This is the inter internal dialogue. And besides, you know, we get lots of packages from Amazon, and we have porch pirates in our neighborhood that steal packages. I could catch the bad guys, you know? I could do all these things, and so I'm convincing myself this is going to be a great thing. So I'm researching and researching, so I bought a ring, doorbell, okay? This is not an endorsement for ring, by the way. I don't get paid for anything, I'm not, okay? So I get it, and I get, I, one night I had a, about an hour, so I ran to Target, I bought it, I looked at the instructions, I installed it before Kim was out running errands with Courtney, and they drive in, and, and I'm like, I want to surprise Kim with this new doorbell, it's the coolest thing, and so she saw it, she said, oh, this is really cool, and so we set it up, and, and, it, and, it, and it's tied to your phone, and it gives you notifications, because it's, it's, it's a motion sensor, so when anything happens at your front door, you know, in fact, so much so that you can actually tap the app and you can talk to the person. Even if you're on the other side of the world, you can talk to the person at your front door. Kind of cool, right? You're like, I, 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 just, just go with me for a minute. Okay, this is really cool. <laughs> so then here's the thing. So the first day, I have this set up. I don't even know what I was doing that day, but I'm doing my normal day, and my phone is blowing up. And I'm not exaggerating. It's blowing up. Every five minutes, a notification is coming into my phone. It says, motion detected by your front door. I'm like, oh, I better check it out. And I'm watching, and it goes, well, go back, watch the video. I'm watching, and I'm watching, and look, oh, a leaf fell on the ground. Okay? So like, all right, so I'm going to my, and then another game. I'm not kidding. And my phone's blowing up. My phone's blowing up. And I go, oh, a car drove by the corner. Okay, that's good. Seriously, an ant walked on the front step, you know, seriously. And like every time I'm checking it, nothing's going on. And I thought, well, there's, and so you can adjust the motion and like how far it reaches. So I'm like, let me back that off. So I spent a week, like my face buried in the phone, adjusting and like, oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. And then finally I realized, you know what? I can just shut off notifications. Because this thing that was supposed to make me the hero of the neighborhood was causing me huge grief. Seriously, I was stressed out. And then what happens is you're like, well, even if somebody does try to steal one of my packages, I really don't care because it keeps bothering me, right? And then I went online and I started reading reviews, and that's what everybody else has been saying. I should have read those reviews. So now the only time, every once in a while, I'll go back, and if Amazon texts me and says, hey, you got a package, I'll go check the video. That's the only time I check it because I don't need to know, right? But boy, I thought it was going to be everything for me, right? So, so some of you think, well, maybe I shouldn't buy a ring. I'm not saying that. Pray about it, okay? But I just know for me, that's my downfall. Why? Because the contentment that I have doesn't come from a doorbell that catches ants crossing, crossing my lawn, okay? It comes from where? It comes from Jesus. That's what brings contentment. 
Then the final thing is this. What does it look like when Jesus wins over money? This is the good news. It looks like freedom. Freedom from the, the anxiety that resource and money brings to our life. So Jesus frees us from the need to pursue money and possessions. And he, he frees us from this nasty thing called consumerism, which says, I have to have more to be happy. And that's why in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul gives this really, really important warning. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that this money that's supposed to be fuel for your life becomes the goal of your life and destroys your life. And it was never supposed to be that way. It's never supposed to be that way for us. But that's what happens in our lives. See, because this is, this is what we end up doing, and this is true for all of us. I asked you earlier, you know, we have the dream of what would happen if I had more money. But let's just go crazy. What if you inherited a billion dollars? Somehow, Bill Gates thought you were a great person, and he passed away and gave you a billion dollars of his, his incredible resource. You would go, yes, right? You would buy Microsoft all the time, right? Because you just felt like, or maybe some other billionaire. You have a billion dollars. So now, now you're excited. Why? Because all of your problems will go away, right? You'll never have a bill in your life. You'll never have a mortgage to pay. You'll never have rent to pay. You'll never have to buy another car. You won't have to worry about retirement, right? And so immediately, what do you start? You'll go down the list of all the ways that your life is going to change because you have a billion dollars that's been given to you now. What does that say about you? That says that money changes you. And nothing should change you except Jesus. That's the problem with money. It makes you a different person. Why? Because whether you have little or have, you have a lot, if, you, if money is your focus, you are a slave to it. Even if you have a billion dollars in the bank, if it's your focus, it owns you. It owns you, and it's not supposed to. And that's why there has to be this shift. Because, by the way, if God wanted to bless you with a billion dollars, he probably would have done it already. Seriously. I'm holding out. I'm going to win the lottery because God wants to bless me. Don't you think God has other means that he could use? That he could literally create money out of nothing? He could give us whatever we need? But understand this, is that we don't need to be waiting for this windfall. Why? Because that windfall will change who you are. Have you seen the research on lottery winners? For the majority of them, it ruins their life. Because they don't know what to do. Why? Because they had no money and now they have all the money that they could ever want. And now they don't know what to do themselves. And that's what's happened with money. You're like, you know, we're joking. In fact, in our community group the other night, Anthony was joking about it, or who's our community group leader, about, well, like, yeah, you know, I don't really know money. I, you know, but you know what? God wants to kind of just use me as an experiment and give me money. I'll be good with that, right? I'll, I'll trust it. We all feel like that, right? And if God wants to, he obviously will know that you're able to handle that. But I want to ask a more important question. Not, not what would your life look like if you had a billion dollars, but what would your life look like if you had no fear? Because the biggest issue in our life is not the enemy. The biggest issue in our life is not the world. The biggest issue in our life is what? It's fear. We're afraid. That's why we don't do what we're supposed to do. We're afraid. Why don't we obey God? Because we're afraid he's holding out on us and he's not telling us the truth. That's one of the reasons we don't obey God. Why don't we obey God? Because we're afraid that we know better than God, and if somehow we do it God's way, it's not going to turn out. We're not going to be happy. I'm not going to be content, so I do it my way. What is that? That's fear. And what does money cause for most of us? Fear. Anxiety. It controls us. That's why when the stock market blips, we all freak out. There goes my retirement. There goes my investments. But what if you were free from that? What if you could have a billion dollars and lose it tomorrow and it doesn't change who you are? Why? Because you have no fear. 
because your contentment is found in Jesus, not in your bank account. Just imagine for a moment, what would your life look like? In fact, it's one of the questions that was asked at the men's retreat. Jamie Winship asked this question. What would you be doing right now if you were fearless? That's a hard question. Because for most of us, our lives wouldn't look like they are right now. If we were fearless because we have a God who takes care of us, and what Paul says, even if we die in the pursuit of God, we gain. And if we really believe the Bible, that means I don't have to be afraid of death, and if I don't have to be afraid of death, I don't have to be afraid of anything. What would our lives look like? Not just more money, but free from fear. That's what God intends us to live like. We would risk more. Why? We would risk more. We'd be more generous. Why? Because we aren't afraid that we're going to lose it all. We would trust God. So let me close with this. Going back to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says something really important. I want to read the, the passage before the Matthew chapter 6 that I read earlier. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 30. Listen to what Jesus says. Talk about relieving anxiety and fear when it comes to resource in our lives. He says this. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? I love this analogy. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Just let me pause for a moment. When's the last time you saw a stressed out bird? <laughs> no, just think about it. I've never seen a bird that has anxiety. Why? Because they don't worry. They don't worry. When was the last time you saw somebody who's following Jesus anxiety free? We should be able to say, I look around the room and everybody. Because how much more valuable are we than the birds that God provides for every single day of their lives? Going on, look at verse uh, 27. He says, Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No, they can actually subtract from your life. Verse 28, And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Solomon was the pinnacle of, of Israel's kingship. He had everything. He had wealth, and yet not even Solomon matches the, the beauty of what God does with the lilies of the field. Verse 30, and if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he certainly will care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Why do we have so little faith? The God of all resource is is the God of our lives. And that means that he'll take care of us. He promises to. And because of that, we have to live in that reality. What would it be like? Because I said this earlier. Remember when we talk about rich people, we're not talking about somebody who has more money than you. We're talking about all of us. Because according to the world standards, we're all rich. And because of that, what would it be like to be rich people in a rich nation that live free from the anxiety that money brings? Because the world looks at the Ameri Amer United States and on the outside they think, oh, we want to be just like you. If you peel back a layer, you don't want to be like us. We have way more depression than the rest of the world. Did you know that? Way more. Wait, we have everything. We have technology, we have money, we have freedom, we have a military, we have all those things that we should have contentment and freedom and happiness, but we don't. Why? Because we've looked in the wrong place 
for the contentment that only Jesus brings. And he says, listen, don't, don't stress. Don't stress about it, because I'll take care of you. So as we, we move uh, from money, and we'll move into some other things, I want you just to think, what would it look like if you were somebody who lived a generous life? That every time you looked at the resource that you had, it wasn't like, oh, good, I can save more, I can put more away, or I can buy more, or I can get something bigger. But the question is, God, what do you want me to do with the resource I have, whether it's small or whether it's a lot? Because I shared about John Wesley last week and how John Wesley made a commitment in his life that as he made more money, he always lived at the same level. He never went above that. And then when he died, literally he was giving like ridiculous amounts of money every, uh, away. And when he died, he had no money because he had given it all away. What if, what if you made that, we made that kind of commitment? I won't use their names and you wouldn't know who they are anyway, but there's, there's two couples in my life in particular that I look at and think, I want to be like them. Because they're two of the couples that are most generous people I have ever met in my entire life. And they are some of the wealthiest people I've ever met in my life. And I'm convinced one of the reasons they're wealthy is because they keep giving it away. Because God keeps giving it to them because he knows it's not going to be a dead end. It's going to be a flow through. And they're going to keep giving it away. And I've watched them fuel mission. And I've watched them even bless my family growing up generously. I've watched them give to individuals on the street. I've watched them write huge checks to organizations. i watched them. And yet they keep living in... They're not living like extravagantly, but they live in nice houses and they drive nice cars, but they keep giving money away and living on a small percentage of what they bring in all the time. I thought, that's what if the church was filled with people like that? What if that was normal? I think it's supposed to be. That's why in the New Testament church, there was a season there was no poverty in the church. People with resource. Those who didn't have, had because what others blessed them and took care of them. And God took care of their needs. So what it would look like. So what does that, that mean for us? The gospel shapes our understanding of money. And God says if we really believe him and we really trust him, we will be generous people. So the outcome of the gospel shaping you is generosity. The answer to the challenge with money is generosity. I've seen that happen so many times in my life because sometimes generosity is a struggle. You know you're supposed to give and you don't want to because you're looking at your bank account, you're thinking about your bills, you're thinking about what you could do with that money. And I know in my life in those times where I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Even in those times in that 5% when Kim and I will talk and we'll come up with a different number and there's been times where Kim's had a higher number than I have Gloria, okay. By the way, God doesn't always go to the lower number. And that's why sometimes I'm like, okay, Lord, Kim has more faith than I do right now, so I'm going to trust that you've spoken to her clearly. And every single time we've done that, it's like, okay, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Why? Because my faith is not in the money. My faith is in Jesus. My faith is in Jesus. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. We're going to close. I'm going to pray for you. But I want us to move forward from here with a sense of freedom. God doesn't ask us to be ignorant. He doesn't ask us to live in denial of the reality of the financial challenges we face. But he does promise this. He will meet every need that we have. The question is, will we go to him with our needs or will we try to do it on our own? Jesus is saying to us today, you can trust me. You can trust me with the resources that I'm going to give you, that you will have enough to meet your needs. 
you will have more than enough to live generously because ultimately our lives are about him. He's the goal. So I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to pray that God would bring a sense of release to those of us who are struggling with anxiety over a resource and that our eyes would be turned to him once again. Like Jesus said, all that stuff you worry about in everyday life, all that stuff that you think you're going to have to do, you focus on me first and I'll take care of that. I'll give you what you need. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who takes care of his people. You love your people. You love your family. And because of that, Lord, you've made a way for us to experience the resource of your blessing in our life. And so, Lord, I ask today that where there is anxiety, that we literally, we surrender. We surrender our huge debt that we don't know what to do with. We surrender our huge bank account that gives us even anxiety. We surrender our retirement account. We surrender our home, our cars, all of the possessions, Lord, just like Zacchaeus did. Because ultimately, Lord, Lord we trust you that, that you always supply our needs. And even when we give away, you always return and then even more bless us. So, Lord, I pray that as we leave this moment, we would leave free from the anxiety of money so that we can live the way that you created us to live. You created us to be generous people because you were generous and will always be generous with us. We thank you, Jesus, in your name.